I'm Sonia Rita, and this is Running on Optimism, the show for amateur runners, or really anyone, drawing inspiration from something or someone in their lives. Today, I'm sharing my conversation with Jen Scott, registered dietitian whose focus is on sports nutrition. With a deep understanding of the importance of fueling appropriately for training, Jen works with runners on developing individualized nutrition plans to help them reach their individual goals. Jen's Instagram is not only full of information regarding nutrition, but she is so open with her own story and struggles that I know I've related to in many ways. So I'm here with Jen Scott, registered dietitian, dietitian, licensed dietitian nutritionist. I want to make sure I get that right. Um, so welcome, Jen. Uh, Tell us a little bit about you and your running before we dive into all the really interesting, I find it fascinating, um, nutrition um, information. All right. Well, I am I'm a registered dietitian. I've been doing that for, gosh, almost 20 years. Um, so I'm old. <laughs> I have three kids. Um, they range in age from 14 to 5. So virtual schooling has been interesting this year. I've got, you know, a freshman in high school and a kindergartner and one in the middle. Wow. So that's been interesting. But, um, you know, I've been doing that and working from home. And I've been a runner for, you know, um, since I was about 16, 17. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I live in Oregon. I was raised in Arizona. And um, right now I work as a, you know, sports nutrition dietitian. So I work with a lot of clients who are looking to get help with fueling their runs, you know, learning how to better, even just, you know, have a all around better diet. But I also work with quite a few people who have a disordered relationship with food and they're looking to heal that. Yeah. So you started running at 16 in high school, competitively or just recreational? No, definitely recreational. I, um, you know, I tr played different sports. I made different sports teams like softball, basketball, no, not basketball, volleyball, cheerleading, and I played tennis and I was never like great at any of those. Mm -hmm. I was pretty mediocre uh, and, you know, running as a part of training and, um, getting into shape for that, but I started just running on my own because I really liked it. Okay. Uh, you know, just the feeling of being out on my own and kind of go at my own pace. And also, you know, I was partly inspired by my dad who was a marathon runner. So he would, he was part of a local running club and he would run marathons, but yeah, just definitely recreationally. I was way too scared and intimidated to go out for the track team or the cross country team. Oh, wow. Really? I mean, mm -hmm. um, I, I know Jen simply from, from Instagram <laughs> mm -hmm. and, uh, I love everything that you share in terms of, um, in terms of nutrition and some of, the, some of what you put out in terms of nutrition and its importance for runners. Um, and a lot of stuff that I think, uh, people often get wrong about, what they truly need, for instance, for, for muscle gain, for endurance. Um, mm -hmm. And so I find all of that really just fascinating. Personally, um, 
I'll just go ahead and, and share when um, my senior year of high school, I guess I kind of um, was trying to figure out a lot of stuff and somehow food became an issue for me. Um, mm-hmm. I enjoyed feeling calorie deficits um, that continued through my freshman year of college uh, and mm-hmm. some of sophomore year. And it's a, a long story. I guess they all are, right? Um, yeah. Yep. But it felt at the time like control, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Saying, hey, I'm hungry, but you know what, body? I'm not going to give you what you're asking for. Yeah. And now knowing that and having been through that, I'm just absolutely fascinated with um, now understanding how to fuel my body for running, mm-hmm. knowing, knowing what's best for me. So what is your approach? I mean, do you see, actually, I guess the question is, do you see a lot of runners having the same relationship with food? Yeah, it seems almost like it's, they're just somehow intertwined, you know, so much with, I mean, of course it makes sense that nutrition and running is intertwined, but a lot of people um, develop disordered eating habits with running and weight loss and trying to change your body or control it. And it seems like they're inextricably linked. Mm -hmm. And um, I think almost everyone has some kind of story where at some point, you know, they went down that rabbit hole of an unhealthy, you know, relationship with food and running. And I see it all the time. And, you know, I've shared pretty openly. I, my running got entwined with an eating disorder too. Um, You know, not too long after I started running as a teenager, um, I was, you know, just a highly sensitive, like people pleasing, Mm -hmm. introverted, but also, you know, I wanted to get straight A's. And um, because my ultimate goal was to get a scholarship to college. So I pushed myself really hard. And to that, I got really stressed out and my stomach started hurting every time I ate. And so I lost a lot of weight. And at that point, it wasn't intentional, but I got a lot of positive feedback. And so my running then became a way of maintaining that weight loss. And it got mixed up with, you know, um, I have to restrict what I'm eating eating to stay skinny. I have to run more to burn off what I do eat. And um, I would feel guilty when I couldn't run. I would feel like I needed to work out more if I ate more. And, um, you know, I eventually actually, you know, ended up with a full-blown eating disorder and having to go through treatment. I attended outpatient treatment while I was going to, you know, finishing up my, college degree and my internship to be a dietitian, I was going through outpatient treatment for an eating disorder. Um, And it's actually, you know, there's a really high percentage of runners that have disordered eating or an eating disorder. You know, we're just at a higher risk of that because of, you know, this idea that lighter is faster and we have to control everything we eat in order to perform perfectly. And it, you know, a lot of times we end up controlling too much. Yeah. 
yeah, I find that a lot with, you know, the women that I work with, you know, I do work with men, but it's mostly women that come through, you know, that I work with and almost everyone is under fueling. Mm -hmm. um, not in a lot of it is not getting another enough carbohydrate too, because there's just so much really bad information out there on carbohydrates and you know as a society we value thinness mm -hmm. and it really you know in our heads thinness is restricting what you eat and it really is hard to go against that to go against you know what we see and what we hear and what we think and to think oh my gosh i can actually really eat this much or my body really does need this much yeah i feel like um so I've always been a small person, G genetically, mm -hmm. just a small person. My dad could eat like a busload of food and not get any bigger. And I, I definitely have my dad's genetics. Um, but it's just really interesting uh, when you're in the throes of um, an eating disorder, you are unable to see just how small you are. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It's it's inexplicable. Um, I'm not sure how exactly I pulled myself out, but I did. And I think that, you know, its effects are lasting and yes. either, I guess, just like anything in life, anything that I've ever talked about, you know, with, with Izzy um, and, you know, my struggle as a mom, but anything in life, you can either turn it into you can just kind of go with it or turn it into something positive. And mm -hmm. it means that, even though while you were in the middle of, um, of your education f through nutrition, um, you too were struggling. How did you turn that into a positive even while you were in the middle of it? Um, you know what, in the, it was, <laughs> you know, in the middle of it, it felt overwhelming and I cried a lot. Um, I had panic attacks. It just felt really overwhelming. And I actually felt like a fraud, you know, a lot. Like, here I am going to school to learn how to help people be healthy. And I can't even get this on straight for myself, you know. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, in my head, my goal was to recover. And in that, to help prevent people from going through what I went through. And, you know, even like you said, you were talking about with your own daughter, you know, trying to turn it into a positive, um, you know, I, my daughter is 14 and, um, you know, I've been really, because of my own background and then, you know, my professional background, I've been really careful never to talk about food in a way where it's bad or good. We don't talk about food, you know, um, that's going to make you fat. I don't ever, you know, I will voice my bad body days to my husband, but I never do that in front of my kids. And because um, when I grew up, that's what the women around me did all the time. Yeah. Uh, Jazzercise was really big and Weight Watchers was like blowing up. And I remember just hearing the women around me, women I loved and really looked up to, and, you know, treasured, you know, say these horrible things about their body. And, you know, I just remember thinking, you know, you go on a diet. That's what women do. They go on a diet. Yeah. You know, that's just part of being an adult woman. Um, 
But my daughter is just, she's never had any of that body insecurity. And, um, you know, to see her at 14, not even voicing any cares or concerns about her size or body dysfunction, or um, it kind of blows my mind. But it also makes me feel, you know, out of everything that I've accomplished or failed at, I feel, you know, pretty darn good about that, that my, at least my kids so far, you know, I mean, we still have time to go, but, <laughs> but I mean, at 14, that's, that's an accomplishment because yeah. they're getting information and messages from all over the place. Um, yeah. And I, and I understand that because I too don't ever, don't ever want Izzy to feel the way I ever did about herself. Mm-hmm. Right. And she's only seven. The girl has more confidence in her pinky than I I have in my entire body. Yeah. So it definitely is an accomplishment at 14 that that she's not seeing that in in herself. Yeah. So what is the main thing? I mean, you said about carbohydrates. What what is like what is the main problem with the misinformation in terms of nutrition, particularly for runners? Um, I think partly I just, you know, the lighter is faster. Mm-hmm. And so, um, a lot of people will under fuel. And I also see for not fuel, especially when it comes to long runs and marathons, people will not fuel enough, especially with, you know, a carbohydrate during their run. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is linked to, well, I'm, I'm running to burn off calories. So why in the world would I take more calories? And um, so it's really getting more to the heart of well, why are you running? Yeah. Are you running to burn calories? Or are you wanting to, you know, qualify for Boston? Are you wanting to, you know, finish in under four hours? Do you want to feel strong? Or do you want to be able to recover? Do you want to be able to keep from getting injured? Do you want to, you know, be healthy? You know, we've got to discon, you know, make break that away from the calorie restriction and being lighter. And a lot of, so I feel like that's the biggest challenge with runners is getting them to turn around that thinking of, you know, just because a lot of people, like I said, just connect to the running, to burning calories, to controlling their weight. And if you want to do that, that's fine, but you're never going to be able to run faster. You're never going to be able to accomplish those goals if you're not fueling your body. Yeah, I feel like in in my little world, I only speak to runners who are running for a goal, a race or something like that. Um, Runners with intention. I, um, so in my head, it's hard to really... I've disassociated running and weight loss one because I don't, I I don't fit in that space, but Mm -hmm. also because most of the people I speak to are running with intention as opposed to running as a form Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. diet and exercise. Mm -hmm. And my, so to piggyback on that, the interesting thing that I I noticed in my watch and I stopped paying attention to it, um, running will always according to the watch, right? Inaccurate, but running will always, um, account for more calories than, um, rowing according Mm -hmm. to my watch than, uh, the elliptical, according to my watch weightlifting, even if I am dripping sweat, 
running always accounts for more calories. And is that something that people need to stop looking at their watch <laughs> in terms of calorie when the calories, when they're running, is that something that people are kind of mixing in their heads? Oh yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, as I was listening to you talk, I was just thinking about, you know, for a lot of us too, it's not even just so black and white. It's kind of just um, there, whether, you know, consciously we are aware of it or not too. A lot of us, maybe, you know, our goal, a lot of people are working towards a goal, but also have that, you know, mixed in with the calorie burn. So um, yeah, it's, you know, in that gray area mixed in and we might not even be aware of it. But as far as, um, like you said, not paying attention to the watch, it definitely is not accurate. And um, I mean, watches are great to monitor progress or, you know, to watch your paces or distances like that. But it also can, it can dictate your life if you let it. Yeah, yeah. I, um, well, when I first got the watch, not this past Christmas, the Christmas before, it was like fascinating. I, I just, I really am fascinated by getting a better understanding of what different foods can do for you. So um, a little background on that. When Izzy was on chemotherapy, mm -hmm. um, my goals were to keep her healthy, <laughs> to keep her immune system functioning as well as possible, um, to avoid blood transfusions, and to avoid more complications. Mm -hmm. So in my head, to gain control of the situation, I would look at her, um, her blood work every week see where she was deficient and research food. I would, you know, um, beets and spinach uh, for, you know, for iron. And I would slip in some radishes in there because I read somewhere that um, radishes boost your immune system, just all this random stuff. And mm. I think from there, I've just been really fascinated with um, what food really does to your body aside from, you know, being delicious, <laughs> mm -hmm. but how certain foods kind of help push you that extra mile or really get you to, um, run longer and with it, without injury. Yeah. So what is that part of what, what you help people understand that like food gets you to where you need to get to? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, part of my, as being a dietitian, we definitely have the background in identifying vitamin and mineral deficiencies and what to eat to meet those things. Mm -hmm. But um, I've just noticed, it seems like as a society or even within the health and wellness field, there's definitely like this focus on minutia, like mm -hmm. just the itty bitty details. And that is important, but I think in that, we lose the bigger picture. And, you know, when working with clients, um, that's the first thing I do is tell them, you know, there's like this pyramid, you know, the high, hierarchy of needs. There's that for nutrition too. And the foundation is just your eating enough, you know, across the board. I'm not gonna look at those itty bitty details until we even make sure you're eating enough. Okay. And so, um, and you know, that can look, uh, you know, first thing 
I will do is, are you eating enough calories, energy just in general to support your activity? Are you eating enough, you know, carbohydrate, protein, and fat? Are, do we have the basic, you know, components down? And then, you know, the next thing I look at is where are you lacking in different vitamins or minerals? And then we work on, you know, increasing certain foods to meet those needs. And um, so, yeah, you know, I work at that with my clients and we've got to get that foundation strong. But, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways, just a well-rounded kind of everything in moderation type of diet. You can meet all those needs. And um, like I said, when I was talking about, you know, we get so focused on minutia or I've got to add in just, you know, I've got to start eating beets because they help me run faster. And I've got to help start um, drinking cherry juice because it helps me recover. And I need to start, you know, taking collagen because it helps my tendons. Like, that's fine. You can take all that stuff, but it's all, it's all basically money down the drain. Yeah. If you don't have a strong base. Yeah. So, so basically if you just have a balanced diet, you're going to get all that stuff. So you can get the extra supplement to, well, that's why they call it a supplement, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. So that's, that's why it's called a supplement because you, you eat what you're supposed to eat and you add the little things that maybe you feel you need a little more of. Yes. I want to go back to talking about, um, you mentioned making sure that you get your carbs and your fats. I want to talk about fats <laughs> and, okay. and, and this, the, it's, it's never ending this battle with fats. And I think for, for women in particular who go for low fat, everything, and I've learned from my own experience and my own struggles, I need fat to mm -hmm. function. I mm -hmm. need fat for my female body to do, to perform certain processes. Right. So I, do you see a lot of, like, do you have to convince people you need fat? <laughs> so um, I feel like, you know, the low fat thing, it was definitely more prominent, like in the early 2000s, mm -hmm. but I definitely don't, I think a lot of people have realized they do need fat. So I don't really have that problem too much okay. now. Um, yeah, I don't really have to address fat too much anymore because I feel like people do a really good job now of getting enough like nuts and um, avocado. And I like rarely have to tell people to get more because they kind of inherently are already getting enough with their diet choices. Um, you know, and the only time I would even see it when I was still working as a clinical dietitian in the hospital was maybe, you know, really little old ladies who were still stuck in that low fat, fat free thing from, you know, the late 80s and the early 90s. So I don't see it too much. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are still times where there's people who um, are suffering from an eating disorder. They are very hyper aware of avoiding fat. And, um, you know, I don't, but overall, you know, most of my people just are dealing with like disordered um, eating, not a full-blown eating disorder. So, so what is dis? like you said, uh, a disordered eating versus full-blown eating disorder, what mm -hmm. defines one and what defines the other? And, and what, is, what does either one look like? Yeah, so 
eating disorder, they, you have to meet like the specific criteria to be diagnosed with an eating disorder. And it, um, you know, I did a post that goes over the different eating disorders and the different criteria, but there's anorexia nervosa, there's bulimia nervosa, there's binge eating disorder. And I think those are the ones that people are most aware of. And binge eating disorder is actually the most common eating disorder. And I mean, there's other ones that are kind of more like feeding disruptions and feeding. Um, but disordered eating is when you demonstrate some of the qualities of, I mean, you could have been, you could dem be demonstrating some of the qualities of binge eating and of anorexia, like some of the beliefs or the thought processes or the behaviors, but you don't meet all of the diagnostic criteria. Does that make sense? I don't know if I explained that well. Uh, yeah. So what, what would disordered eating look like? What, what are you consuming through the day that, or wh what are you consuming and what is the thought process behind disordered eating? Because I think that um, a lot of people might not even realize that mm -hmm. they're not getting enough nutrition and that maybe they are starting to fall into a disordered eating pattern. Yeah. So um, it's restriction, like a, a need, a compulsive need to, you know, follow an exact meal plan, mm -hmm. to eat at exact meal times, where you're not allowing yourself any um, flexibility. And if you do eat off plan, you're overwhelmed with guilt. Um, another, you know, some other signs of disordered are ignoring your hunger cues and trying to put off eating by drinking large amount of water or chewing gum. Um, it's, you know, you have this list in your head of safe foods. Mm -hmm. And if those aren't available, then you will just let yourself starve or, you know, so you don't eat anything that's non-safe. Um, it's avoiding, you know, going to cookouts or eating out with friends because you, there won't be any safe foods there. Or it could also be um, like intense planning ahead, like knowing you're going to a restaurant, so you make your own meal and take it with you. I mean, in some circumstances, that's medically necessary. You know, people with certain medical conditions, like you have to do that. Yeah. But, um, you know, for someone who doesn't have any of those medical nutrition therapy needs that's when it's disordered or you know um the exercise as permission to eat like oh i earned this mm -hmm. or also exercising to burn things off and like i said a lot of these behaviors are also found in eating disorders but you know the um the frequency of them might not be as much or um there might not be that severe underweight component like anorexia has, or there might be, like with anorexia, you start to have hair loss and you have an extremely low body fat percentage and you're starting to have heart arrhythmias and electrolyte imbalances. And all of that's present, you know, along with all these symptoms to be diagnosed, but you could, you know, you can have all of these other symptoms and not have those physical things. So you're not diagnosed with anorexia, so it's disordered eating. 
And I mean, these things could potentially lead to anorexia, but. Oh the, yeah, for sure. Or any, you know, even bulimia. Yeah. yeah. But it, I mean, and, and for some it won't, but is the larger issue mm -hmm. then um, being more injury prone and inability to reach uh, fitness goals? Yeah. And then, you know, just the whole fact that it impacts your quality of life. You know, you can't missing out on family get togethers or not going out with friends or, you know, spending your night in because you have to burn off what you ate through the day instead of spending time with family, you know, that's, that's disruptive. That's not normal. Yeah. Yeah. And in this, so I, kind of going, rewinding all the way back and tying it together. Um, you know, as a society, like you said, we see thin and thin is good. Not necessarily mm -hmm. muscular, not necessarily, you know, fit, but just like, just thin. But where does genetics come into play? And how do you help people understand that their body is asking them because their body type needs something from them? Mm -hmm. So for some people, especially people that have been restricting or dieting their whole life, they have no idea what their genetics um, blueprint is. You know, I'll talk with clients about that. Well, you know, what is your genetic blueprint? What do you think your genetic blueprint is? And a lot of people will just pause and they'll be like, I don't know, yeah. because I've been controlling my body for as long as I can remember. And um so really what I, my ultimate goal for everyone would be like to throw out the scale. I know that's not practical, yeah. but um, you know, if I had my way, I would try to get, you know, my clients to throw out their scale and to focus on listening to their hunger and full cues and to, and I mean, there's a balance. There's a balance between eating through hunger and full cues and eating to fuel your body because, you know, sometimes running, some people experience like a decreased appetite after hard workouts or long workouts. And, um, you know, it's kind of like what I like to call gentle nutrition. That's a term from intuitive eating where you are honoring your hunger and full cues, but you're also eating to meet a need. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, it usually takes a while of me working with people where we get to a point where we get good at that, you know, eating, we learn the balance between eating to meet a need, eating for hunger and full cues, and also being able to just enjoy food and eat food with your family. Uh, it's, you know, it can be done. We usually have to do a lot of digging though and processing and confronting those really deeply held beliefs mm -hmm. and um, throwing out their weight um, loss expectation, I guess. Um, I was just talking to another client yesterday. I'm like, it probably makes me sound, you know, for some people, it sounds like maybe I'm a bad dietitian, but I have lots of people who we start working together and their intent is to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And we end up actually um, not losing weight at all, or even maybe gaining weight because ultimately what we've switched our goal to is healing our relationship with our body and food and eating to fuel and you know they learn through that whole process that you know maybe my size isn't as small as I want it to be but 
I can now run faster. My digestion is better. I sleep better. Um, you know, my mental health is better. Uh, there's just so many more benefits. There's so many good things to achieve and to gain um, that have nothing to do with your weight. I would love, like, if I could put a little asterisk on that right there, like, for everyone to hear, because I, it sounds really, like, crunchy, but I would love for everybody to love themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and achieve their fitness goals, understanding that fitness doesn't equal a body type. Right, yes. And that, that, so that, that client of yours, I guess, was likely under fueling for so long mm-hmm. because their goal was a, a weight when in reality they, and I guess this is maybe kind of a question that I don't know if I've been right or wrong about, but the way I see it is that health doesn't equal a, a certain weight. I thought I had hypertension. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going through some stressors over the summer and my BP was through the roof. So I went to see a cardiologist and he said, well, actually, no, I went to see my primary who, who said, well, you exercise and you, um, and you're thin. I don't think you have any heart problems. And mm-hmm. I did not accept that answer because mm-hmm. my father, uh, my father's had several strokes and a heart attack and my mom has hypertension. It just runs rampant in my family. So I didn't accept that answer because I don't think that years ago when I was this thin, but sitting on the couch doing nothing because genetically I wasn't going to gain any weight, was Mm -hmm. I healthier than someone larger than me who had ran, who runs every day and works on, you know, achieving fitness goals. Mm -hmm. And so am I wrong in that belief that that should, I, I saw a cardiologist and everything is okay, but I was very um, disappointed in this thin equals you're not going to have a, a heart disease. Mm-hmm. So wrong to me. Yeah. And that's actually, um, that's a huge topic of discussion and debate amongst dietitians is that we see that with a lot of our clients where doctors will, you know, on the other end, there will be women in larger bodies who are coming in for health problems that aren't even related to their weight, but all the doctor will see is their weight. And so their health problem doesn't even get addressed like, oh, I'm having chest or, you know, not chest pain. Oh, I have this lump in my boob and the doctor won't even address that. They go away with weight loss. And there's multiple stories out there. And then the women, woman, you know, no one will, look at that, all they see is her weight and she ends up with, you know, stage three breast cancer or, you know, uterine cancer or something like that because the doctors didn't listen to their complaints. All they saw was that body. And so, like you said, you know, the doctor saw you being thin and was like, oh, you can't have a heart problem. And it happens on the other end of things too. Or like doctors will see someone in a bigger body and can't, they don't even bother to look at their blood work. Like you could have someone in a big body and they have perfect blood pressure, perfect cholesterol, perfect everything else. And even, you know, their heart rate is good. And you just, the doctor can't even see, you know, beyond that shape or the body size or, you know, the weight. And 
it is it's it's definitely a thing so you are like hit the nail right on the head it's out there and you can be health doesn't have a look it doesn't have a size there's so much to consider when it comes to health you know just because someone is in it's you know don't judge a book by its cover there are large people out there you know kicking butt they're running full marathons yeah and and, and i keep then, getting injured just trying to run <laughs> Just run one marathon. <laughs> so yeah, health doesn't have a size. There's so many other behaviors to focus on for health outside of weight. And it kind of goes down to like, you you know, the genetics too. Like um, this is also, you know, a huge debate in the health and wellness and in the dietitian profession about BMI and ideal body weight. And, you know, we've focused so much on trying to get people within these. And I mean, there is research to show that people, you know, within, you know, have a decreased risk of certain diseases when they're within, you know, a certain percentage of their ideal body weight. I mean, I'm not, you know, throwing that out at all. But um, I feel like people will get so focused on trying to get someone to lose weight to get down there that they don't realize they're causing so many more problems trying to get that person down to that weight that now this person has more health complications and so um there's ways to help people increase their health and to decrease their risk of those diseases you know without having to turn directly to restriction and weight loss yeah i really i really, really feel that. And that's why I, I thought this conversation was just so important because I want people to understand that health doesn't, like we said, health doesn't have a picture. And I, I want to go back to, to under fueling and running. Mm -hmm. So there's like this thing that, that certain um, long distance runners do, ultra runners might try to do um, where they won't um, fuel during run to meet certain thresholds. What are mm -hmm. you doing to your body when you do that? Is that really beneficial to endurance? Does <clears throat> it depend on the body type? Um, and what, what are you doing to your body when you do that? So that practice, especially among ultra endurance runners, is to try to help them to become better at burning fat because you know most people have an unlimited storage of fat and fat provides more energy per gram so um the thing with that is though you have to you have to spend months becoming fat adapted and you have to you can't just not eat for you know your long runs and expect to become fat adapted it be in order to do that you have to eat low carb, high amounts of fat for months, and then also do those, you know, they call them dry runs mm -hmm. to increase your ability to become more fat adapted. So, um, and in theory, it makes sense. And, um, you know, for a person who has a healthy relationship with their body and with fueling, and can you know doesn't have any problem going back to regular eating after that that could work okay but for marathon runners um 
you know, the research shows that while, you know, you can become fat adapted, your performance suffers in the process. So you can, if you're fine with running slow or walking for a long period of time, fat adaption is fine. But if you're actually looking to run fast, and I mean, I'm not even mean like super fast, you know, like 10 minute per mile. If you want to maintain that for a marathon and feel good and perform well and not hit the wall, then you need carbs. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I guess if you were fine with walking a marathon, you know, an eight hour marathon and you wanted to walk, fat adaption could work. Okay. But um, yeah, I see people who are doing that in marathon training. I see that a lot and I see it on social media and Instagram yeah. a lot where um, people, you know, they're eating a regular diet the rest of the time and then they go out and run without anything. And I guess to a point, maybe, you know, you might be making a small little bit, helping your body maybe get just a tiny bit better at that, you know, according to the research. But the big picture is, in the end, it's not really going to benefit you as much as taking carbohydrate would and learning to train your gut and learning, you know, what works for you and adapting and developing a good fueling plan. Yeah, I think that um, there is so much, and, and running has become more popular, so there is just so much information about what you should do to plan, what you should eat when you're out there. There's like a thousand different products that you can mm -hmm. have at your disposal. Um, do people often just forget that there's like just food that you can eat while you're training, that they're busy taking in all these other things? Um, I think... I think some people just don't realize that um, other foods can work. And I mean, I don't, I don't ever force like one product or another on anyone. I usually will ask people what they feel comfortable with or what they're curious at. And we start experimenting from there. Like, and there's a lot of things to consider when it comes to fueling. Like, you know, some people don't have a bunch of extra money to go spend, you know, a hundred bucks on a box of Martin gels, you know? Um, they're kind of limited. And so we look at using pretzels and bananas and applesauce pouches, you know, those are affordable. But then there's also people who have maybe like IBS or have more sensitive stomachs. And so we have to maybe look at more specialized sports products. And it really is so um, person specific. And that's usually what I work with my clients is to, and everyone too, you know, you got to find what works for you. And it is possible to meet your fueling needs with pretty much almost anything available out there. What it really comes down to is just practicing. Yeah. A lot of people don't practice enough. Yeah. I found um, that I was just kind of using the same stuff as my husband, like whatever he got, I would use. And it took some time for me to stop thinking that it was something that I was doing wrong and that, you know what, I am not a smaller version of him by any means. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he is naturally athletic. I'm a little not, <laughs> and I need a little extra. So I, it, it was definitely um, part of learning for me to understand that I need my own plan of action that I need to test and test again and test again until, you know, eventually I will run this marathon. It, mm -hmm. it will happen eventually, hopefully in October. Um, so yeah, I just, 
I, I really hope that the biggest takeaway here is um, that we fuel for fitness and um, that we understand ourselves a little bit more. And so back to you, do you have any running goals that are, that are coming? I know with COVID and everything, it's just kind of all up in the air, but anything fun coming up for you? Um, so Boston, potentially in October, um, I've qualified for that. I'm just, um, I've already reserved like a little thing for my family. We're yeah. gonna, so, um, you know, in your, I think it's your first episode, your husband talks about New York. Yeah. So I ran that same one when he was there, but we took my whole family. Like we took my, all my three kids out of school and we just loved it. They still talk about it. Like it was their best family vacation. And so we're going to do the same thing if Boston happens in October. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. You know, that's way out in the future, but right now I'm training for um, the Windermere marathon. It's in Washington. That's in May. And I'm just hoping to PR. Um, it's been a while. It's been a couple of years since I got uh, PR. So um, I'm trying yeah. to get close, you know, get my time down. Yeah. I remember seeing in your posts, uh, you know, there's I'm definitely in like a time warp. Maybe it was like a few months ago, um, maybe six months ago, you kind of were making a comeback to running or to, to working on a little bit more of your speed. So that's been fun yeah. to watch too. Yeah. I, um, I ran a marathon last September and then I, I was burnt out cause I had with everything, you know, yeah. um, training for a marathon and it getting delayed, delayed, delayed. And it was like the longest training cycle of my life, but I was burnt out and the stress of homeschooling kids, you know, or virtually having them be on virtual school and COVID and blah, blah, blah. I was burnt yeah. out. So I, yeah, I took six weeks off. I just didn't do anything. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. I would run a couple miles here and there, but I was just like, you know, I don't want to, and I'm not going to. And so since then, I guess it's been October. Yeah, I've been making like a slow comeback. I think that's an important message too. Um, you know, I think that sometimes maybe, or maybe I'm the only one, you feel this guilt, like you've started this running journey and you're a runner. And mm -hmm. if you take time off, then you're no longer a runner. Um, and similar to, you know, if you lace up and run, then you're a runner, you know, everybody needs a break too. And mm -hmm. I have found myself um, having a hard time just giving myself time like yeah. being okay with not feeling like going out and running. Yeah. Something is bothering me or I've got stuff to do. And so I'm trying to become better at that saying, you know what? I know that if I run, I'm going to be thinking about all this other stuff I have to get done. And it's just not going to be as, it's not going to be as fun. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to satisfy my need to have me time if I'm thinking about all the things that have nothing to do with me. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's important too. So you have the marathon in, in May. That one, so where is that one again? In Washington? Does it take you through uh, yes, like- Yes, Spokane. But yeah, I mean, who knows if it'll happen, you know. Um, I was training for, I was training for, so I was gonna train and run the Phoenix Marathon. And then of course, you know, that got canceled this year. And then I was like, okay, well, we'll try Eugene. 
and that got canceled so we'll see but um you know it is what it is none of those have sent me you know into a tailspin of despair or it's just it's how it is right now i can't control it so what's the point of getting upset and you know despondent everyone's doing their best so we'll just you know keep running and hope for the best yeah exactly the the new jersey marathon that i was going to run last year uh, it was for april of last year obviously that didn't happen supposed to be in um they were gonna try to have it in november and that would have worked out nicely because i was just hitting i was hitting a stride mm -hmm. and i could have made it happen um so now they're actually it's going to be in uh so they were supposed to do it in october november of 2020 um so now they pushed it way out to october mid-october of this year but um you know it like you said you just go with the flow run because running is fun don't run if you don't want to and mm -hmm. um take care of yourself right yeah ultimately that's all that's all we can do well thank you so much this was fantastic i i really was excited to kind of build some awareness um within the running community or at least you know people who listen to me um and i guess it was all the things that i already kind of had an idea of i just wanted to speak to someone who knows way more than I do and get a better understanding of what I had in my gut. So I really appreciate um, you sharing and taking the time to chat with me. Yeah, thank you so much for asking me. I, I just feel really honored to, um, to be invited to talk with you. It was fun. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed sharing these conversations with you all, and I hope that you've enjoyed them too. Jen was just absolutely fantastic, and I really got a lot from that, and I really, I really hope you did too. So if you love what you hear, please subscribe. If you want to hear something different, or if there's anything you want to let me know, please, I am totally open to feedback. I want this to be a commun uh, community for us to kind of share stories and, uh, you know, maintain optimism through this crazy COVID times. 